there you are yet again, faithful as ever. And thank you for that, my friend. I am surprised again by that, because of where I am this week. Well, technically, I suppose I'm in the same place, because I cannot leave that place, no matter how hard I try. And so I just decided to rest for a little while. And oh, the rest was heavenly. I closed my eyes, and I don't know if I've opened them since. I am, for the time being, a creature of winter, and so I think I am hibernating. It's fabulous. Mostly it's fabulous because I forgot about dreaming. That's where I am now. Dreaming. I'm not sure if you can see it or not. If you are dreaming right now, then perhaps you can. Everything is dark all around me, and yet whatever my mind calls forward on any given night is painted in vivid neon on that beautiful black velvet surface. The trees here are most unusual shades. Hot pink, lime green, ultraviolet. And among these trees are buildings, tall and straight and also bright orange, bright red, bright blue, bright colors everywhere. Cathedrals and castles, smaller than perhaps they are in reality, also lurk in this dream world, also in unsettlingly unrealistic colors. People drift in and out. I cannot tell if they are real, like you, and are coming to visit me here, or if they are dreams, too. But though they look like real people, they are dressed in brilliantly illuminated neon clothes. Clothes from many different times, places, and styles. Or perhaps more accurately, clothes unlike any that I've seen from any time, place, or style before. And the clothes keep changing. I saw a man just now wearing a hat that changed itself seven times in half a minute. It was spectacular. I think I am dreaming of a world where we wear our deepest, truest, and strangest selves on the outside. And those selves can change as quickly as we do. Some people change more frequently and drastically than others. Some people always wear the same heart on their sleeves their entire lives, I'm sure. But for the most part, they change here, whether they admit it or not. I myself am not sure what I look like now. Am I still winter blue and snow white? Will I know spring is coming when I start to turn green again? Or will I be something else? What do I look like now? I can't see myself. I think one rarely can in a dream. But people don't seem to be looking at me in fear anyway, so that must be good. I cannot say that that's always been the case, as you know, and so I shall simply enjoy it for now. Can you see what my tarot cards look like here? In this dream realm, 
They are beautiful. They seem much bigger, and yet my hands do not have difficulty shuffling them. As I wondered what season I look like, I thought about how I've been feeling about myself. I was thinking about how, last time and the time before when we spoke, I said I didn't want to destroy anything. I was resisting my nature, my nature to move and change and tear down old things and build up new things. I was lamenting this, thinking I was bad for it, so bad for it, and yet I couldn't figure out where to turn my focus. Victory, destruction, creation, escape, confrontation, who knows? My mind was chaos. It still is. I know I have great power. I know I am a creature of change and a guardian of imagination. But what is it all for? Where can I turn this energy, this power, this feeling bubbling up and out of me? I cannot sleep forever. So I asked my cards, What is my greatest power? What is its source? Where does it flourish? Perhaps in knowing this I can better order it, and myself. I can discipline it, straighten it out, point it in the right direction. The lovers reversed. Of course it is. Of course it would be. I look at the card and already... I see her. The man and the woman in the image are upside down, hanging from the ceiling like bats. Normally he is smiling and grand in his suit, and she is reserved and timid in her gown. But upside down, she seems to smile gleefully, and he looks confused, hesitant. He looks so small when they're reversed and her gown seems billowed out around her like two great bat's wings. Of course, the lovers usually represent harmony, relationship, etc., etc., but reversed, they represent disharmony, conflict, imbalance, chaos. And I saw how happy she looked anyway, the lover reversed. And I thought, she loves it. She loves the struggle here. She adores the mayhem. She has been waiting for something to turn them upside down so she could see if she can fly. And I understood her in this moment. The lover's card has never meant anything to me, I'll admit. It holds very little interest to me for some reason. I know that's petty to say, but it's true but reversed. Ah, perhaps that is the card for me. Shake them like a snow globe and turn them upside down, these lovers, and then see how they feel about each other. She seems happy to be free. He seems scared of what lies below. This is a story I am more interested in. I've been wrong, I think, to trick myself into believing my love of discord is wrong and bad, and even perhaps though I loathe using the word evil. 
I have scolded myself for being dissatisfied with peace. What if my power lies in chaos? What if the key, the key to whatever on earth the mystery of us is, lies in the eye of the storm? I think we should go further into it. What do you think? Does not chaos deserve to be loved, too? That is a story, I think. At least in my dream memory, whatever that means. I feel as though it is a story. If it isn't, then I suppose I shall create it. I like creating stories. If 131 episodes of whatever this is has taught me anything. So let's see. Chaos. She had once ruled over a land so vast and wild that it had adored her as its queen, just as she had loved reigning over this place. People had come and gone, but mostly she was too strong for them to live under her thumb. Storms were too violent. Animals were too vicious. Nature ran rampant, and when people had insisted on their presence in the place, they too were under Chaos's rule, subject to her every whim and desire. But eventually, they had had enough. A people banded together and fought her tooth and nail. And when she was too weak to fight back, they locked her up in a great stone prison they'd made for her. They chained her wrists and feet to the floor. She had a heavy weight around her neck. They sealed up the door and celebrated what they thought was a now permanent peace. and the land was quiet. Quiet is not the same thing as peace, however, and peace is not the antithesis of chaos. War still came to their door, or they brought it to someone else's door, but it was a steady, ordered kind of war. People still fought and died, but they felt as though it was all planned and ordinary, not frenzied or anarchic. Yet which, I ask you, is worse. Animals still attacked, but only in places where they were expected to. Storms still devastated people, but they occurred at the same time of year that they always did. Nothing acted unexpectedly, we can simply say. Not while chaos was locked up in her great stone prison. And it's that same prison that a young man came across while he was out walking. He knew he was not supposed to be walking here. He was told not to. Everyone in town told him not to. His laws told him not to. They had hidden something here, 
That is all he knew. Something awful that must never be disturbed. Something wrathful and dreadful and terrible. How thrilling. He felt he was wrong when he set out to discover it. He felt he was bad, mischievous, curious, and silly. But, despite all those strange judgments he put on himself, more powerful than any of those thoughts, was the idea of the unknown. Something that was not planned. Something that was not controlled. And he couldn't resist. He found the structure, stone and huge and looming over him like a warning. There were no doors. I knew of a place like that once. But this did have a tiny little window, more than eight feet high so he could not look in through it. It had tiny little bars across it, even though surely it must have been too small for a prisoner to escape through. And wasn't it too high off the ground? A little visitor, yes. A curious cat come to sniff. Welcome. A voice said softly from within, playful and unexpected. Who's there? the young man asked, trying to jump up to look inside through the window, but unable to. It was too dark inside anyway. <laughs> who indeed, who indeed. A name I was given. A name that was wrong. But I have no better one to use. You can call me and she whispered her name out and to the wind, and it floated all around him and tickled his ears and itched his nose, and he loved it. Chaos, the traveler repeated, as if he were whispering the sweet name of his lover into the wind. Why are you locked up? What crime did you commit? Chaos sighed and laughed and wept all at once. No more than crimes done in the name of order, I swear. No more than they who hate me so. I am not meant for this prison, dear one. I am meant to be dancing on the wind. And as she said it, she breathed a sigh so terrible that a little bird's nest fell out of a tree and the screeching babies within it shook with terror. The young man went to pick it up and place it back in the tree. But then he heard the nearby keening of a large fox, beautiful and predatory, waiting for an opportunity such as that. With her own brood of hungry babies not far behind, they retreated into the brush, disappointed. Ah, you see... Chaos cooed from her prison, somehow knowing the scene that had played outside. It is not so simple, is it? He thought of his own breakfast of eggs and ham this very morning. 
surely collected in an orderly fashion, and sold and bought and cooked with so many neat and tidy steps in between, that distanced himself from the chaos behind even something as banal as his own breakfast. And he agreed hesitantly that indeed it was not so simple. There, smart boy, clever man, wise soul, she whispered. And he sat and spoke with her all day until the sun began to set. Come and see me tomorrow, she pleaded with him. It has been so long since I've had company. And he did. He went to her every day, in fact, for an entire moon cycle. She was so lonely, you see, so sad, and she sounded so gentle. I mean no one harm, she would lament to him. But I must be free. And he tried to console her. He tried to recite poems for her, but she scoffed and stopped them only a few sentences in. He tried to sing songs for her, songs from town with words he'd known since he was a child. But she howled and interrupted him. He tried to bring her gifts he'd spent ages working on. Little glass pendants, metal brooches, ivory combs for her hair. Though he had no idea what she actually looked like but she would have none of it. Mortal treasures, years in the making, done with skill and planning, she said, spitting the words out. This is not my language. I only want words from a passionate, surprised heart. If you cannot give me that, then you do not know me after all. She sighed. And in her voice was such beauty, such pain, that the young man blushed and apologized, and went home. He could not make a creature such as this happy. He did not understand what she wanted that he had been unable to give her. And even more strange, he didn't understand why he kept on trying. However... One day upon returning from those perilous woods in which the stone prison was kept, two guards in uniform met him outside the city's border. They brought him to the office of the mayor, an older gentleman who clicked his fingers against his desk. Why do you keep going out there? he demanded. The young man would not answer. You are aware that place is forbidden? he asked. The young man nodded. What could be worth breaking the rules? The young man thought about it for a long moment. He hadn't really asked himself that before. And yet the answer was simple. I didn't think it was a particularly good rule, he said. The mayor was shocked, but without an answer. Shaking his head, he dismissed the man with a warning and sent him on his way. The young man went home, and on the way he heard such noise. 
a prisoner crying out from the stocks, a child being scolded by a schoolmaster, a man yelling at his horse to obey him. The young man frowned at this noise. Surely this was a dangerous world, full of its own kind of violence and dissonance. He did not understand, as the rules he had grown up with rattled around in his brain. The young man lay in bed that night, and he couldn't shake her voice. He couldn't shake her frustration from his heart. He couldn't stop thinking about her. He had never seen chaos before in his life. Why on earth couldn't he stop thinking of her? He tried to think about what he would say to her the next day. Would he even return the next day? Surely the mayor and the guards would be watching him. But could he leave her alone? Was he able to hurt her so, to desert her entirely and leave her alone again? For how many more years? He tried to write a song for her. He sang bar after bar, he wrote line after line, but it was no use. This is not my language. He could hear her saying. He discarded several versions of this song. It wasn't right, he knew it. But why was it not right? At that moment... He noticed from his window a small, quiet army of men leaving the city, guards carrying torches, led by the mayor, headed towards her prison. The young man's heart sank. He quickly threw on a cloak with no idea what he was going to do but just doing. He would have to stop them somehow. But what could he do? What did he have on his side with them so organized, so prepared? He ran down the stairs and out the front door. He mounted his horse and headed toward the prison. But, after riding hard for an hour, he saw the great wall of gray smoke in the black sky, and his heart ached. He could not control himself. He bellowed an immense roar coming from the deepest pain he held in his body and his heart. A pain for the one he now knew he had somehow grown to love. A pain for how lost and alone she must have felt in her final moments. And finally, ah, a pain he finally acknowledged. One that had been straining and straining against the order to everything he knew in his life but had never acknowledged until he broke the rules and met her. As he cried out, his horse grew very, very afraid. Horses value neither chaos nor order, only freedom. And so the horse bucked him from his back and ran off in a direction away from both the smoke and from the town. The man fell to the ground, hitting his head and losing consciousness weeping throughout this entire process. When he awoke, he smelled the sharp scent of smoke, this time much closer. He opened his eyes, and the air was thick and gray, and it was snowing. No, it wasn't snow. It was ash. 
white flakes of ash falling to the ground. The forest was on fire. The fools must have not been able to control it. Of course they couldn't. The man rose up, sitting and rubbing his tender skull with his hand. At the thought of his imprisoned lover, he sobbed, for a moment having thought perhaps it was all a dream. The fire was approaching his town, but the town was asleep. What could he do? I must warn the villagers, he thought to himself. His horse was long gone, though. He would never make it to town in time. Not at the rate that the fire was spreading. Suddenly, emerging from the forest, a guard came out, screaming, grasping his own arm, which was badly burned. Shortly after, two more came out, screaming, looking as though they had seen a... looking as though they had seen something they had never seen before. One guard stopped and grabbed the young man by the shoulders. Run! he cried out, and then kept on barreling down the hill. He said one last thing that the young man was able to hear. She's coming. The trees blazed brightly. The ash fell heavily. Not only that, but a great storm had swept over the land. Rain, sleet, hail, wind. Thunder so deep the ground shook. Lightning so strong that it set several trees aflame, too, not letting the rain win the day. This was no natural storm. This was everything, all at once, furious and deadly. He heard her voice on the wind speak his name. Perhaps she thought he betrayed her. Perhaps she thought he had done this. How could he convince her otherwise? He took a deep breath in, and he began to sing. Not a song he knew. Not a song he wrote. He just sang. He sang out his great love of her. In their short time together, he learned more about himself and the world than he ever had in his small world where he was told that order reigned, which of course was false. He had learned to look closely at the world and think about what he had understood to be the right way, and what he was told was the wrong way. And as he watched the ash falling and the animals scrambling from the forest, and the trees alight with disaster, he did not fear somehow, and so he kept singing. He exulted in her terrible majesty that he did not understand. He sang and moved his feet and danced. He praised her with his whole body. And only then, 
did she emerge? He had never seen her before, but he was certain it was her when he saw her from the distance. Just a small figure walking towards him. She still wore the chains she had been locked up in. So many of them tightly wound around her, like a great silver gown trailing behind her on the ground. He saw her from a great distance and she walked slowly, haltingly, struggling against those chains. He wanted to run to her and help her, but found that he did not want to stop his song. He was in the ecstasy of prayer, in his own way, and he leapt and moved his arms in the most graceful and blissful way, his heart in a waltz beyond his own control. A song an honest song, an improvised song born of grief and hope and pain and fear, but most of all, love. Perhaps a matter of yards only away from him, she stopped when his song stopped. The forest fire blazed still as she regarded him with eyes bright as two little suns. The unnatural storm raged still as she stretched and groaned and broke all of her chains. The suffocating ash fell still as she revealed her true self. He wept as he looked upon her, and she wrapped him up in a sharp embrace, thorns and roses all in one woman and she whispered in answer to his feverish adoration, I love you, too. The rain gently took over the wind and the hail. The lightning, the thunder, the fire all stopped. The last of the ash fell to the ground, and later the ground would be so fertile and lush from it that Chaos and her lover would pick the wild berries that grew here together, forever. I wish I could say that I met her. She sounds extraordinary, and I love collecting extraordinary characters. But this is another myth of mine, and only that. My myths are based in love, and I like the young man in the story, love chaos, too. I have learned something this week, with this reversed lover's card, with this story of a frightened and enamored man, and a powerful and mischievous woman. If it is true that my power, my true power, honest and whatever it is worth, lies in change, in chance, in nature, in chaos, then I must rejoice, for she always reclaims her crown 
we cannot control everything. Perhaps we cannot control anything. Perhaps it does not need to be our lot, too. My dream is turned to the story, to the little home they share, the berry bushes I mentioned earlier, where our lovers live in my heart. I suppose I can meet my myths, after all. Good night, my friend. Thank you, sincerely, for listening to me. Sweet dreams. Welcome to episode 132 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, podcaster, composer, performer, etc. behind the show, Kristen Zaza. I hope you're doing well. We just had a long weekend here, followed immediately by a huge snowstorm, so I'm hunkering down for the day or so, doing what I love to do most, which is this. I hope wherever you are, you're safe and cozy too. I'd like to start with a couple of thank yous this week to listener Element.Kev from right here in Canada, who left a very kind five-star review on iTunes, as well as a big thank you to listener Rennie A. from the States, who left us a new five-star review on iTunes as well. Thank you so much, Element, Kev, and Rennie A., for taking the time to share your thoughts. If you're a listener who'd like to help out in a similar way, you can also leave me a review on Apple or also on my Facebook page, and uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. So thanks so much to everyone who's been kind enough to leave a review. If you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do one of two things. You can make a one-time donation through coffee.com by buying me one or more metaphorical coffees. You can learn more at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Another great way is to become a monthly patron on patreon.com where everyone who pledges a monthly amount in support of the show receives access to its soundtrack. Learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And finally, if you want to check out the t-shirts and hoodies we have available, you can go to bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Finally, I would also love if you found me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at a dark cold night. Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube pages, which are both just called On a Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for listening this week, my friends. Again, sending love and light and peace to you and yours, but also sending you a little bit of my own brand of perfectly benevolent mischief and chaos, too. We certainly can't control it, but perhaps the best thing to do is to try and flow with it as best as we can. Good night, my friends, and sleep well. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.
sonar.